cliffcentral.com. All right, all right, all right. It is a Wednesday morning on cliffcentral.com just after seven o'clock and we are going to welcome to the studio someone who everybody in Johannesburg and the rest of South Africa knows. She is always busy. She's always doing a hundred things and she's phenomenal at all of them. Dori Wheel is a clinical and organizational psychologist. She's got over 30 years of experience in hospital, private, and corporate practice. Dr. D is pretty much, uh, I think you are, I think you're my favorite, um, which I know is going to piss off a lot of other psychologists, but you're not just my favorite psychologist. You're one of my favorite people. Full stop. That's always been true. How are you, Dari? Oh, Gareth. Hang on. Let's just adjust this camera. It looks like you've, um, there we go. That's, that's good. That's a lovely welcome. It's nice to see you. Yeah, the feeling is mutual, I have to say. How are you? Yeah, fine, thank you. Fine, thank you. Early in the morning. I know. Great but, to be here. But um, how's your foot? Because you, didn't you hurt so, your foot the other day? I, I hurt oh. my foot quite a long time ago. This must irritate you still, because you're yeah. the, you're, you like wearing really, really nice shoes. Yeah. The last time we featured you on the show, and it wasn't about psychology or anything else, it was your collection of shoes and handbags. Yes, it was. Which, indeed. Which, mm. Lebang, let me tell you, mm. you, have no, you have no idea <laughs> of what Dari has in terms of a collection of shoes and handbags. Sure. That, that sounds like I need to go shopping in your collection. Well, I think that you need to visit me. Yes. And while this foot is sort of fallow, so to speak, yes. Yes. you know, the, those shoes are sort of But you better put it to work. Yeah, they're displayed longingly uh. you know, on the shelves. And I think that <laughs> yeah. they, need, they, they need a little bit. They need a bit, a little bit of walking. A little bit of walking. Yeah, well, I am happy to uh, fill in and do exactly that. Just welcome. send an invite, and so we can make it happen. You welcome. So let me just uh, read something to you quickly. This is what Nelson Mandela said about Dory. Um, I hope this doesn't embarrass you because I, I think this is quite cool. Not a lot of people have something like this in their, in their, you know, CV. And you don't, you don't. You don't put this in your CV. I found out about this. This is what President Nelson Mandela said. Mm. I don't know if you're aware of the hope and inspiration you offer and the difference you make to so many lives. Dari, thank you for the great contribution you make to building our nation. Mm. That's a hell of an intro. I yeah. mean, that's, yeah. that's quite something to have. Look, Gareth, it really is, and I am proud of it. And um, I do highlight it mm. because, first of all, I am proud of it. It isn't an endorsement that many people have. Mm. And there's a backstory to that. And, you know, knowing that and the relationship that I was so privileged to have with Nelson Mandela. Um, you met him a few a, times. I mean, you knew him quite well. Yes, I did know him quite well. It was actually interesting, you know. Um, during the struggle, he was um, – an iconic figure and a, a, a hero mm-hmm. to lots of us, especially those who were considered ourselves sort of activists at university. Right. When he came out, I went to meet him. I flew to Cape Town to meet him. Actually, many of my friends didn't. They said that it would be too hot, too dangerous. Mm. Stay at home, watch it on television. So I landed up going with the kids of some friends of mine. And it was, it was a great moment and a great day. I'm sure. And I met him several times after that. Um, my husband, at, my late husband at the time, happened to be, um, at the time, happened to be the South African, the president of the South African Chamber of Business. So we were involved in the wow. inauguration sure. and all of those. And we met him, but um, we met him in crowds with other people, not so much one-on-one. And then what happened was, was actually quite a strange story. My kids were born in a very unusual way after many years and after a long struggle. And it was an incredible cerebra- celebration. 
they were actually born of a surrogate mother who lived in the United States. And against all odds, against all odds, you know, people would say, but statistics show you have to give up. Mm. And that was very defining for me because I think one of the things that drive me from that period is that you just don't give up. There is always. And you have have two wonderful children to show for it. They are wonderful. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's always another way. And so in celebration of that and the event that we had, we asked for no gifts but donations to the Nelson Mandela Children's Fund. Oh, wow. Um, sure. um, one of your late colleagues, Jeremy Mansfield, featured in that story as well. Mm-hmm. As I came home one day, got a message from the babysitter to say that Nelson Mandela had called. Oh, wow. Sure. And I, <laughs> yeah, I said, yeah, this is Jeremy Mansfield from 702 for sure. Yeah. And I kind of wondered what she'd been smoking. And the next morning <laughs> when the phone rang and he said, Mrs. Wheel, I said, yes, he said, this is Nelson Mandela. I said, yeah, Jeremy, sure. Oh, wow. And I, I think I was the only person that called Nelson Mandela Jeremy Mansfield. <laughs> and uh, he said, no, this is President Nelson Mandela. I said, good morning, Mr. President. Following that, there was an invitation uh, to dinner, which we couldn't make because I thought that it was still Jeremy. I didn't believe it. Really? And then, uh, sure. I, so I said, no, sorry. <laughs> we were going. But then um, we, it, we accepted a breakfast. And when we went and it was legitimate and there was no one else there and it was in the Houghton house. Mm. And he opened the door himself sure. and uh, had breakfast with him. And actually it had nothing to do with that donation at all which I thought it would have. He was building schools and hospitals mm. in Kunu where he lived in the Transkei. Right. Mm-hmm. And he thought that there may be a, some assistance. We had a, at the time a much, much smaller business, a property company than the names that he was talking about, but nevertheless got on very well, said that we would offer some assistance and then flew with him in his plane, him, Stella Sakal, Steve Schwetti to the Transkei. Mm-hmm. That's where he started developing a relationship there and back. And he was interested in the radio and the show and what we were doing and kept up the relationship for out, throughout his whole life. Visited him several times. See, I'm, was saying, I'm, I'm learning things see. about you here and this is why I wanted to have you in for this discussion because there's some, I've, I've known you a long time. We've been on a couple of lunches and I've been all over the world and seen you in far flung places, New York and London. But there are things about you that I don't know, and I think that's probably why it's a good idea to sit down with you for a whole hour and talk to you about your life. It's a pretty amazing life and continues mm. to be an amazing life. I mean, you never sit still. Every other time I hear about where you are, India, Australia, China, America, you're giving these talks, you're involved with YPO, you're involved with uh, with all kinds of really interesting projects all over the world. You're no longer just the Dr. D from 702 that many people will know. Mm. Well, look, and I, I mean, we, we obviously had you very much involved with us during the Oscar Pistorius trial where we were talking to you almost on a weekly basis. Did you see, by the way, he's up for parole? I saw that. What do you think of that? I saw that. Just while I we're saw on that. it. Well, I mean, you remember those conversations we had and I was often an, a lone voice. I was definitely a lone voice in, mm-hmm. in the media because I actually, and still, you know, after going back to it now, and there seems to be some other evidence on a different level. I've been, there's a, a clinical psychologist from Toronto 
called Brett Wilcox, mm-hmm. who has written a book and who is writing to, to me about parasomnia, which means for, I don't know much about it at all. There's a part of the brain that can be stimulated and that can be awake, but that you're not fully awake. I was talking all the time about Oscar to- uh, Pistorius having amygdala hijack, yes. which mm-hmm. I still think mm-hmm. you remember that. Absolutely. That he was triggered and that when you are in that emotional state of fight, flight or freeze, you know, you react and not respond, which means you're unable to think. Your neocortex where you think and re- and respond properly kind of shuts down. You have to react in the moment. And that comes out of either you eat or be eaten. You were lunch mm-hmm. or had lunch. Yeah. And that primitive part of the brain is still alive. And because I knew a little bit of his history and he had been triggered like that before in circumstances which didn't warrant the reaction, mm. which uh, which he displayed looking at it looking at the conversations what happened that night the valentine's day card yeah. all of that with mm. him and reva mm. the way the toilet was flushed and so on i, I really was convinced definitely he, he admitted it he killed her yeah. for sure but i still don't think that it was intentional i want to i want to talk to you about some of this stuff because you and i always go down the rabbit hole of talking about mental health and you know it's become and, and I'd like your perspective on this because you started all those years ago working as a psychologist and the mental health world has changed in leaps and bounds. I mean, it's a different universe now to what it was then. And it was still very much taboo. And it was about going to, you know, like these, these mental hospitals, which were these terrifying places. And they threw everybody in. If you had anorexia, if you had multiple personality disorder, mm. if you were slightly schizophrenic or very, um, if you were bipolar, if all of these things that became, they were, they were, they were terrifying terms. Well, right? it was, it's really interesting because, no, you know, no, where people talk I about mean, it around the corner yeah. from here. And, you know, uh, and it was uh, very much in the, in this domain. There was Tara Hospital where yeah. I worked yeah. for a very, very long time. Yeah. And people would use that almost as a sort of derogatory th- threat. If you said something that was a bit off key, I mean, today, we're going to put yeah. you into Tara, yeah. you know, you're yeah. going to <laughs> So, I mean, that was the kind of connotation of yeah. it. Mm. The kind of thing, the ethic at the time is that we present a clean image. So does society. So does everyone. If you're a little bit off kilter. Now it's quite politically correct. In fact, it's quite work. Oh, yeah. In fact, it's people quite list, sought after. So people put you know, in the their... more quirks you have, yeah. and you know, bo- yeah. normal is kind of considered boring. Normal sure. is just of what the majority of people but do. But people put it in you their want... in their Twitter biography. They say, um, "I'm 24. I'm uh, my pronouns are she/her." And I suffer from X, Y mental illness. Yeah. It's a personality well, trait now. It's it a is. personality yeah. trait, yeah. but more than that, it's a sort after thing. It means I'm living my life. It means I've experimented a bit. Mm. It means yeah. that I've had, I've had different kinds of experiences. I'm probably sought after, mm. more capable than anyone else. You know, so, And I've overcome some Well, things. you know, sure. look, it shows in some way, Gareth, of how the pendulum has swung. Because to me, it's sort of not the objective judgment. It's the subjective effect. So, I mean, if you're going through something that is the duration and extent, those two factors, how bad, how long Mm. and how much such that it's interfering either with your personal or professional life Mm. and that you can't cope. 
You know, it's not kind of something on the outside to be lauded or celebrated. Mm. You know, it really has a, t- a terrible effect on you. But I think that in many, many ways. So the pendulum swung. Funnily enough, I think what the greatest, a, a huge effect on the perception of mental health and the coming out and coming out proudly of it was COVID because, you know, so Mm. much of it Mm. was mental health problems. There were real mental health problems. COVID acted as as an incubator. So what happened Mm. that if you, you know, and it happened in relationships as well, if you were locked down and your relationship was inherently fairly good and your way of communication was good, it served. I mean, I often did things in icebreakers that I did for groups. You were talking about YPO and other groups all over Mm. the world. We often start with, in, in that time, what has been the greatest impact of COVID and you would imagine it would be negative. For many people, they said that what it has done mm. is it's, it, there's been a priority shift. It's mm. been connecting. One guy said to me, you know, I used to think there were a few uh, short people in my house. Now I call them my children. And, <laughs> the, and you know, he, 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 and, and people spoke about improvement in relationships and so on. But the divorce rate rose all mm, over the world mm, if things were yeah. not good, mm. you know. So it served that. But what it did for mental health is it destigmatized it. It gave people permission. There were all kinds of celebrities, athletes, mm-hmm. and mm. people who spoke much more openly about mental health problems. Mm. The result of that is that, you know, I'm working with a lot of CEOs and managers. You know, they sometimes say, you can't believe what's happening. Everybody who wants a day off these days comes to me and says, I've got mental health problems. Yeah. We're supposed yeah. to be very, well, very people, encompassing people do. They take, it. they take mental health days, right? So, yeah, well, it's a thing. I mean, it's, what, it's, what it's become a thing. Well, uh, Gareth, I mean, I can be funny about it, and uh, we can be. But I also think that in so many ways, when something becomes understood – it becomes sought after and mainstream. Mm. So, you know, what, what I mean is that, you know, the uh, things that should be considered when you talk about, um, all the different pronouns and all of that, mm. you know, it's got to be to such an extent that it's confusing. And I think that it's quite sad in a way because people who have really, really struggled mm. and trust me, I see them. Yeah. I see the ones yeah. who have battled, sure. the ones who for their whole life have believed that they're in the wrong body. The ones who've had to put up, you know, with all the, not only the kind of jobs, but, but really personal psychological trauma. They've been tied by these psychic ropes. Mm. They've been unaccepted. They haven't really found the journey. Mm. And now there's a bit of relief because there is much more acceptance and way out. But so many other people are wanting to jump on the bandwagon. Yeah. Some of it for well, experimentation. So, so you, I mean, you mentioned Oscar Pistorius. I brought it up. But the fact is, there are also a lot of people who just don't want to take personal responsibility. Mm. And mental health just gives them another avenue to use as an excuse. I'm not saying this is true for even a minority of people. Who knows? It's probably just a few bad people who are doing this. But I hear now, for example, there was this woman who like faked a kidnapping in America just this week. She said that she stopped on the highway and she saw a toddler walking down the highway and she went to rescue the toddler and then this guy in a truck pick, picked her up and took her away and molested her and then she was eventually released. Of course, she had to admit afterwards it was complete nonsense because the whole of America is on film. There are cameras everywhere. Mm. So they saw that she'd totally made it up. 
Um, she had no evidence to prove any of this had happened. She was attention-seeking. Her bad choices are responsible here, but her boyfriend comes out and says, oh, can everybody please stop bullying her on social media? It's not good for her mental health. Mm. Um, mm. I'm sorry, but you kind of, you've made terrible mm. choices. The mental health thing you can't now use as an excuse mm. for your irresponsible behavior. You know, look, um, perhaps I'm a, just a little bit, I don't know, should I say, I'm not, well, let me say it like I was a kind thing of another word at the moment, a little bit less judgmental in one sense. I think that well, you have seeking, to be a psychologist, no, I'll tell right? You why. Yeah, you do in a sense, but I think that people who need to go to those desperate needs to kind of concoct those sort of stories, to make up those kind of things mm-hmm. for attention, what, what, what is the need about that they need attention so much? Why are they not getting their needs met in any ways that are remotely functional? Yeah, they, so no, no, I go along with you. I think, I think this thing that you said about accountability is very central to, to a huge amount of things. And I think that if people would realize that they maintain themselves in positions that are dysfunctional because of lack of accountability, I mean, I can give you a simple example that nearly happened to me today. Mm-hmm. I am, have got this broken foot that I'm walking around with, which means that I can't drive. Mm. When I spoke to your co-founder. It must be killing you, by the way, because you, you hate being, in, uh, well, you love um, being independent. See, I'm, I'm restricted and so on so on. But I thought, okay, this is fine. I've been doing it for quite since the 1st of June, actually, and it's going for a bit of a longer time. Sure. So now I'm Ubering or getting lifts. Mm. And I was told there won't be a problem this morning for Gareth's show. You know, the Ubers are around, and there mm. was no Uber. Oh, no. no Uber, no, no. I was just frantic, you know, that I was going to be there. But the example that I'm going to give you is I once had a client who came, and it was on a Friday, which I, I – was thinking to myself, you know, if you start building up resentment, you should have said no. You know, every time you say yes when you really mean no, yeah. you build up resentment to the very person uh-huh. who, you, who you are trying to be nice to. Sydney, sure. so he was, and I said, okay, you late. He said, I'm sorry, I'm late because of the traffic. So it's Friday afternoon, can it happen? No. The next time he says, same thing, 20, 25 minutes late, I'm late because of the traffic. And the third time you want to say, look, you know, you're not going to change the traffic. You are going to have to leave mm, earlier. Mm. The minute you make the problem outside of yourself and you don't take accountability, mm. you're also losing some of your capacity to deal with it. You know, and let there we you, go. Yeah, you know, can, you, can we just put that on repeat? I mean, Lebang, didn't I just say in a meeting the other day, like, I'd like us all to just be on time? Yes. Didn't no, I quite, say that? Just yesterday, actually. Yeah, let's all be yeah. on time mm. because what Dari's saying there is so right. Mm. The minute you externalize this yeah, stuff. Exactly. Okay. It's, can we get back to your story for a second? Because there's a part of the story which is really beautiful, and you just touched on it there very briefly. But the the incredible – I mean this this journey that you went on in order to, to bring your kids into this world is quite something. And I think there are very few people who – maybe they take it for granted that they just have – I mean, Lebang has got five. Oh. Hey? She's got five kids. Have you, Lebang? I do. <laughs> five. Yes. Oh. I just want you to share that story with I us. I needed to learn what worked. You needed to learn what <laughs> – so did you, Tony. The, the secret Same was COVID. It was all COVID. To your story, that's when I popped three of them out. Sure. So. Okay. <laughs> it worked. But, Dari, tell, tell us how that all worked. And, and you, you really went to incredible lengths. And now you do have these two wonderful kids. I've, I've met them both. I mean, they're really um, extraordinary, doing amazing things all over the world, just like you. But but tell us how it all happened. You know, funny enough, and I will tell you what happened, but when I told my son, Dean, 
that I was going to be because he has known you his whole life. He's kind of grown up with mm. you. You know, we started working <laughs> together many, many years ago. He said, Gareth, said, yes. he said, tell him to call me Ma. I'll tell him about you. Uh-huh. He, mm. he said, you know, they want to know what to be. And I, I'm a little bit nervous, but he said, no, you trust me. I'll tell them what a parent is. That, I mean, from my point of view, he really wanted to talk to you. So sure. maybe we'll do that another time. Yeah, get him but in But he, here. he yeah. really wanted to. Parent, you know, kids of parents, what do they say? That's, that's, that's mm, quite interesting. Mm. So, um, you know, it was something, it was, it was, it was something that I really longed for. And during that time, my career was taking off. So it was quite interesting, you know, um, because I didn't have that responsibility at home. I was able to progress through the ranks, you know, at, at Vits and the Tara Hospital. And Sure. Doing some teaching and all of that, but at the same time, I was having fertility treatment, which meant that I had to be at the various hospitals that I was going to all the time, very early in the morning, right. to have various injections and stand on line and scans mm. and you know some. It was it was much less sophisticated than it is and now, it's, and it's very very. It, it can was, be quite traumatizing. It'd be quite expensive. It, it's well, not a pleasant. You know thing. that that part of but all of the above. What was even more traumatizing was the actual journey. Because, I mean, it seems crazy now because things are much more sophisticated. But I had 18 IVFs. And people who've gone through one or two, you know, just know what it is. The hopes, the dreams, Mm. the aspirations, the fantasies, the expectations, the what will I call it? The not realization that each step along the way doesn't mean that the result is going to be good. I lost seven of the seven pregnancies mm. during the way. Jeez. And I think the thing, when I say that that journey defined me, it wasn't only becoming a mother in the end. And they were born with a surrogate mother who lives in the United States mm. with our own genetic children. Right. So mm. they are mine and my husband's. They were frozen. I mean, it is mm. quite an incredible That's story. That's amazing. And it was against all odds. I mean, many doctors and religious leaders with the very, very best intentions used to say to us, you know, you must face reality now. I'm and sure. I remember saying, you know, what do you mean? I was naughty. I knew exactly what they meant. And they said, but statistics show. And I said, you know what? I don't think reality is only statistics. Mm. I think it's also got to do with something else. And I remember Deepak Chopra, who I used to quote at the time, used to say, the average rainfall in San Francisco doesn't tell you about the weather today. And so, you know, there, there, were, we there was another element. And so there, were, there was another way and another way. And when we hit a brick wall in this way, and I said, well, I think it's enough. My husband would say, look, we were so close one more time. And when he said no more, and in fact, what happened in the end is they said to him, you can't let her go through this anymore because there was a lot of illness that, mm. that, that mm. which they thought was related to the fertility. Some of it wasn't. Some of it was. And they stopped it. But really, you know, how that defined me is that, you know, that was really an example of not giving up. And when I look at them, I mean, my kids are, have just, they, they're 26 now, mm. you know, and I look at them, I still feel the wonder of it. I still I'm think sure. to myself, sure, you know, take a look at you mm. and, you know, for all intents and purposes, you're really not meant to happen statistically. Mm. And so what that has done in terms wow. of defining 
beliefs and how I live my life is that I almost always believe there's another way. Sure. No for me is just the beginning of the conversation. <laughs> yeah, That's I love it. that. That's, you know, it great. really is. It's finding That's so great. sometimes it doesn't work, but almost always it does. Yeah. And it's not miraculous mm. because if you have that belief, you just simply try harder. Sure. If you believe that it's not yeah. going to work out, you give up. Then and it then won't. You are right either way. Mm. You know, there's so. always there's always another way, right? And you just can't give up because it'll all, almost always most likely happen in the way that you want if you just keep believing. Well, you know, it's it's belief, and then it's a bit of action on the belief. Definitely. You know, I remember Definitely. there was that big book. And movie that came out years ago, Gareth, you might remember, it was called The Secret. Yeah. Ah. And you remember with The Secret, it was basically, if you have affirmations mm. and if you can visualize. Visualize. And visualize and laugh, it's going to happen. You know, just see the house that you want. And did you think that was nonsense? And one day it's going to miraculously just appear. And I remember <laughs> I was an education chair. You mentioned YPO, YPO. Yeah. And we brought, and Jordan Peterson, who wrote um, The Wolf of Wall Street was here. Mm. He came and I just grabbed onto him and I said, you're going to do an event for us. And we had him at the Johannesburg Stock Exchange and I just did, I vamp it up. We had little furry um, um, lampshades on the thing. <laughs> we walked in there saying, who's afraid of the big bad wolf? You know, we really, because he is so over the top, so you could make yeah, yeah, the yeah. event. Mm. Jordan, is Jordan, it, uh, not, Peter, not Peterson, uh, sorry. Jordan, do, uh, someone Jordan. The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, we not know Jordan Peterson. He's, he's the psychologist who's the Right wing guy, someone Jordan. I'll look it up. Thanks, thanks. Look it up. Sorry, that was. Wolf thanks of Wall for Street. me. Wolf of Wall Street. Anyway, Jordan I'm, Belfort. Jordan yes. Belfort. Thank you. I knew it was Jordan something. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway, um. He he was he got up there and he was talking about this phenomenal kind of bowing down to the secret and what it stood for. And I remember him saying, do you mean to say, he said, if there are weeds in my garden and I want them to go away, I must just say die effing weeds, die effing weeds, die effing weeds, die effing weeds, and they're going to die. He said, no. So what he was saying and what is absolutely true is the belief is the first part. Sure. It's the first part. You have to see it, believe that it's possible, but mm. then it's action. Mm. It's a huge yeah. amount of 100%. action. What can I do to make it happen? And some people believe things are meant to be, you know, they've got that kind of thing irrespective. You know, if you play in the traffic or you don't, if it's your time to do, you do. <laughs> and other people say, you know, 90% of what happens or 5% of what happens is luck, fate or circumstance. If you take care of the 90%, the 5% takes care of itself. Right. And some people mm. after going through a lot of things say, you know what, maybe there is some sort of partnership. I've got to do whatever I can. And then perhaps there's something like you can call it universal energy. Mm. You can have a religious belief. Mm. You know, you can call it Louise if you want, but you do what you can first. Sure. You know. So yeah. in this incredible career of yours, and, and I'm talking about from the very beginning, you've told us about when you started off at Tara and, and at Vitz, but tell us about some of the highlights of that career, some of the places you've been, the people you've met. The, sure. the, the events that you've been at because you've, you've really met more people than most of us will ever meet in 10 lives. You know, there is, there's meeting people, there's meeting people, there's connecting and there's meeting. And I just want to say also that part of the privilege that I've done and Gareth, I know because I had to count the other day because I was updating my CV. I've actually had the privilege 
of working in 59 countries. Sure. And that work is to do with not only giving um, presentations, but even more than that, connecting with people on another level. It's facilitating groups. And it's it's being allowed and invited, invited, perhaps tentatively at, at first, but really invited with developing trust that I hope is evident Quite soon from the, from the beginning, people get a feel of you into people's sacred space where they know that authenticity is related to vulnerability. So if they want to really come across as being authentic, which is necessary for deep connection, otherwise you're just connecting with a part of yourself. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's superficial. So you have to have the trust and the vulnerability to be able to be authentic in order for other people to see you. And for you to be really seen by them. Why is that important? Well, you know, the feedback that you might get from that is given as a gift. In most situations, if you get feedback, especially if it's not amazing feedback, it's Hmm. seen as a criticism. But in situations like that, that feedback is seen as a gift and it can be used and it increases your awareness which then helps you with personal development. So involved in all sorts of things, you know, being able to connect with people on that level in so many different cultures sure. and in all around the world with the same kind of fears and sensitivities in yeah. small places. You know, some of these people are anxious. They say, look, we all know each other and we're friends. You know, how is this going to affect these kind of connect groups or forum groups, you know, that we've now been put into. And at the end of the day, you know, Gareth, you just see, I mean, human beings are wired for connection, mm. the yeah. need for, the need it's for. It's funny, re- they, they've just discovered, um, and I don't think this is news to you because you're on top of all this research in any case, but they've just discovered, Lebang, that one of the things that absolutely adds longevity and quality of life mm. above all other things, it's not how often you go to gym whether you eat only a vegan diet, whether you are, you know, doing all kinds of hormone replacement therapy or anti-aging, whatever it is, mm. the number one thing that keeps people alive for longer and happier for longer is connections. Well, sure. you know, it's quite easy for all for you who are listening to this to to see the, to to find this out. You just put in and um, just Google Harvard Longitudinal Study. Mm-hmm. That's it. There's a TED Talk, mm-hmm. and um, they have been doing the study on people that they, they were second year students about 80 years ago or more. Hmm. So some of them, but they followed it up all the time. And of course it was only men because only men were at Harvard, at that, at Harvard yeah. at that time um, as to what is going to result in happiness and fulfillment. And it's funny that the same sort of things that were said there now by the young students are said now, power, fame, Money, 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 status. Mm. And actually what you've just said has proven to be true, that people who are in relationships live longer. They get sick. In fact, there's a wonderful book called Love and Survival, The Scientific Basis for the Healing Power of Intimacy. And it mm. shows that if people have support in their lives, it's actually something that the father of psychology, the good old father, um, Sigmund Freud, said at the turn of the century when they said, hey, Dr. Freud, you're writing about crazy people, psychotic people, neurotic people, dysfunctional people. What would you say about happy people or fulfilled people? And he said they all have someone to love. And he didn't mean a life's partner. What he meant is 
if you need someone in the middle of the night, is there someone you know who has your back? Hmm. Is there someone who's there to support you? Something wow. to do, sure. some sort of purpose of getting up in the morning. Mm. And I like this one, something to look forward to. And that's amazing because so many people I get quite irritated by it. They say, think positively, think positively, think positively. And what mm. it means is that deny the reality sometimes, yeah. you know, of what you're going through. Sure. And the only way out is in. Mm. You have to accept what you're going through then and, <laughs> and deal with it. But optimism and belief and hope is different. What that means is that things change. Mm. Can you see li- that it's not always going to be like that? Mm. Maybe you can make it differently going the fall. Perhaps it's going to be different. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And the light at the end of the tunnel aren't always the lights of an oncoming train. It doesn't mean <laughs> that you've got to, you know, deny the current reality. Yeah. So, you know, I remember just on this that um, I knew someone who had a woman who had a terminal illness, and whenever she wanted to talk about her worry and her anxiety about her girls, she had two daughters. Mm. Everyone would say, "Don't talk like that! Don't talk like that! You're making oh. yourself sick." I mean, how cool oh. is that? Oh. You're making yourself sick, and she just wanted the space mm. to talk about it mm. until there was a group of people who said, "Let her stick with her feelings. Yeah, let her talk with her anxiety. Say, tell us more. Let it out. That must be difficult." For you and then come out On the other side and say okay Is there anything that we can do You know what what, what uh, t- t- Tell us more instead of Being you being embarrassed Because you don't know what to do and your message Is mm. that's not allowed So so to go back to your story for a second yeah. Because I mean I, I keep bringing back Highlights to this. you want yeah, yeah, well, no, no, we'll get, uh, yeah. I mean, career highlights we can talk about yeah. in a second, but you just mentioned kind of losing somebody and now your kids are all grown up, but you, you did lose your husband and they were quite young. They were 16 and, you know, it was really sad after yeah. having gone through this journey. I mean, it took us a really, really long time. And I remember at one stage, you know, you talk about all of that list, the five steps that comes from Elizabeth Kubler. No, 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 no. How to deal you know, with uh, grief. How to and, deal with grief and yeah, that there's yeah. anger and then there's bargaining and sadness and acceptance. And then there's been a sixth one that has been added to it actually by David. Um, I'm forgetting names today. I mean, that might be significant. Um, he worked with her for a long time and he lost his son at 21 and he said, we've got to add another step. And it's called meaning. How can you find meaning? And and don't do it too soon, only after a number of years of going through the list. But it may make it personal. It was. I remember at one stage being, I mean, obviously the overriding thing, the overriding thing was You've been really, married for how many years? So it was, a, it, was, it was a lot of years. It was, um, sure. I don't know. I mean, this man was, he, 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 he was, he wasn't just your husband. He was your life partner. He was the, the father Look, of your children. I mean, this is a real. You know, he, he was, there was friendship. There was mm. fun. Mm. And I think what there was too, which I've kind of picked up on. I think, you know, there was, there was close, there was closeness, but not intrusion in a way. Mm. There was space, but not distance. He had enough sense of personal security sure. with Les to be able to say, go out there. I mean, when I started traveling the world, it was the groups that I was working with were CEOs who then were mainly men. You had to have a hell of a sense of security to let you out 
and I was younger and perhaps a little bit prettier, <laughs> you know, then with all of these high profile, high flying guys yeah. mm. who were all around me and all of that. And he would just, you know, it was more how was it? Was it exciting? Call me when the group is finished and maybe that's the thing Gareth you want to know the personal effect maybe that's the thing that I miss most now let's take this show for example mm. now building up for it excited it's Gareth you know Gareth is a personality huge personality you know over many years and and yeah when I finish here there won't be anyone who is on the phone that says how was it mm. you know sure. they I can phone people and they'll say, oh, yeah, you said you were going to be on Gareth. How did it go? I'm not saying I don't have support in my life. Sure. But your person, mm. the one who says, I know it's today and I know that it's that time and you were building up for it and there was some anxiety and how do you think it went? That's the thing. And that's the thing that for me, in a sense, people say, well, it's been, it's been 10 years now. Mm. You know, how's it been? Is it that part of it? Does it? I live on my own. Mm. I've got two wonderful dogs who just are fantastic. <laughs> they are, and they come. Oh, I sound like that. It's like a bag lady. <laughs> no, you know, um, but you know, they come up and and so on. Um, so, so, and I've got a huge amount of support in terms of friends, family, a wonderful mm. career. You know, with all of this, yeah. with meaningful work, mm. but it's it's. The person, I have a lot of people who have my back, but they're in their own lives. Mm -hmm. So there's that. So, yes, there was one period when they turned 21 and I had this conversation with him. I said, you promised you would be here for your 21st birthday. What the hell did you do? Mm. You know, it was too <laughs> early. Mm. And I got cross because he, he missed that. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. And he would have been so proud to see them. My daughter's an incredible singer. Yeah. And my son is, you know, is a, what should I say? He, my, he's, he's got more, well, he's a man, he's an incredible man. She's sensitive. Mensch is busy. a hell of a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, Dory, um, just to relate this to other people too, because there are many people who'd be listening now who've lost someone and particularly if they've lost a husband or wife. Have you got any like insights into how men and women cope with things differently? Because often if a, if a, a man dies before the woman, she carries on with her life. She's got all kinds of things, friends and, 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 and kids and or other people who she has as supports and as people to interact and connect with. Men kind of have to rush to get married again because they don't like mm. being on their own if they've been used to that. Mm. I think that there is some truth in that. I think that they, you could, you said they don't like old being women, on their own. Old women are a lot more self-sufficient than old men. <laughs> don't you think? Isn't, isn't that like <laughs> nature? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do you say? Ma? Isn't that just like our nature as sure. women? It's the same thing as like when we, when we have children, we just know what to do. And when we lose people, we kind of just know what to do. It's in us. It's, it's, look, first of all, I think that both sides are a little bit, maybe, but I think there is truth actually, Gareth. Thinking about it, I think there is truth. I think both sides exaggerated. When you say men don't like, I think they don't cope yeah. to, mm. as well. Mm. I think coping is like, they <laughs> don't. don't. You know, they don't cope as well. Um, I think that there are, there's, there's too much gender stereotyping on both sides. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, with mm -hmm. it. I think that the truth is that, I mean, if I look at myself and look at other women, um, maybe we cope, but it doesn't mean 
that we don't feel it hmm. yeah. in the yeah. same way. I think seemingly out and about and all of that probably kind of women, thing. Probably women the, feel it more. You know, but because they're, they're more all, in touch with their feelings. They are, are, but you know what else they're allowed to do? You know, they're allowed to phone their friend and say, "I'm having a bad hair day. Come over for a chat." Can you imagine a guy phoning? And now guys bond in different ways. You know, they also have friends, mm. but they have they bond around activities. Yeah, These yeah. are my mm. golf friends. Right. These mm. are my mm. card playing friends. These are my we do things together. Yeah. Sure. And some of it is that we watch sport together. And if you watch the the reaction around sport, sure, then they can hug. Yeah. You know, they can hug and they can, and it's all legitimate. Yes. You know, it's all to do with the excitement around mm, it. Mm. But they don't give themselves, and it's interesting you talk about this. The suicide rate amongst men is yeah, exponentially higher. higher. Yeah. The thing I heard, it was quite long ago, 1500 times higher amongst men than women. Yeah, and then you yeah. say, why? You know, cowboys don't cry, not in front of their horses anyway. Mm. You know, they're supposed to be strong well, and tough. They have less permission. I mean, you, you, this is where I get annoyed when I hear people saying you know, there's the patriarchy and, you know, men are – uh, are lording it over women. It's complete mm. nonsense. There's a because book called mm. The Myth of Male Power. I mean, it's it, women and men mm. are equally powerful. And sure. in fact, in many situations in human history, it has only been thanks to the women that we survived. Sure. But mm. to credit only one of the sexes with all of the, the power is just, mm. first of all, it's again an abdication of responsibility. Mm. And it's, it's so incurious. There's so many funny, complex things that are going on. Between I, men and women all the time. Yeah. For people to, to make it as basic and as black and white as that. It mm. can't be. No. It can't it be, can't, right? No, and no. I think you're right. And I think that it's actually unfair to men as well because sure. it puts them in a position where this, you're saying this is how you're meant to be. Mm. You're meant to be in control. You're meant to be strong. You're meant to be powerful. You're not meant to be vulnerable. Yeah. You're meant to know what to do. And, you know, sometimes, I mean, I don't know why today it's kind of coming up with COVID. I was working with doctors during COVID. There were men and women doctors. And, I mean, part of it was getting them to say, you know, there's that – it's not such a great saying anyway, but, I mean, there's that – that little thing, you know, what's the difference between God and a doctor? God doesn't think he's a doctor. <laughs> yeah. But there's the stereotype yeah. that we've got to know everything. everything. Sure, and yeah. they were put into, flung into these situations where very often, you know, they were, uh, you had to get them to admit we have no idea what to do. Yeah. And we're not allowed to not know what to do. Mm. We, the doctor, right? We've got to be in control. And sometimes that's, True, in general with men as well. We have to know. We've got so to not you just made me and think we can't of, ask for support or help. You made me think sure. of something. Yeah. And and I'm sorry, Lebang, I haven't even given you a chance to ask things. I'm sure right. lots to ask. <laughs> kind of steamrolled right past. Doctor D is inspiring to so many people. You've helped so many people, you've you've counseled and treated so many people, um and, and given them advice and, and inspiration. Who inspires you though? Because you have to get that from somewhere. You know, it's been an engine that helps you it's create sort that. of so like predictable. You know, everybody, you, you, you ask the question of, you know, there's just no leadership in the world today. Yeah. Or mm. if there is, it's the leadership that we don't want to have. Yeah. You know, who do you think were the great <clears throat> leaders? And I just, it is predictable. Everybody goes back to Mandela and why do they say it so many times? Mm. It's because of the characteristics. It's the respect. It's the humanity. It's the inclusion. 
it's even a degree to an extent of vulnerability. It was, it was a feeling of some of it was quite strategic in, in what he did, but it was the feeling of it's not. There's once again using the word of authenticity. So, no, okay, let me just go back. So, I did value that, and he had the way of making people feel that they were the only one in the room or whatever. But, sort of, what mm. inspires me, what really inspires me now, I think I get inspired by the feedback from the people the, that I work with. So, you know, I got a little note yesterday that was just amazing. You know, I mean, if I could, and I'm fortunate to have quite a few of these letters and notes of how they leave differently, how they come in one way and how they leave differently. And many are able to say how they leave differently. And when I hear that, it's not a mistake that giving is related to happiness. Yeah, mm. It's very much right. related to happiness. Mm. And it's not only related to happiness because of what you're doing for the other person. It's how you feel about yourself. Sure. So, you know, I remember when I used to stand up at these NGOs or, or, or charity events or whatever and say, hi, everybody, this is an opportunity to feel good about yourself. It's not an opportunity always to give to other people. You know if you're making a difference, and especially um, it's, it's sort of fairly fairly soon and fairly immediate in, 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 in certain things, not in everything that I do, where you can see it and people let you know that this has been meaningful to them. And then I think that the idea of feeling of value and of being the difference that makes a difference Mm. is the thing I often think, Gareth, especially before these big groups and things that have long agendas and two-day retreats, just done an amazing one, by the way, <laughs> called, you have to know, it's called it's called Intentional Wild Women. Ooh. Step into your authentic self. Ooh. And it was for women <laughs> who essentially have been reared to be nurturers and caregivers, which is wonderful. You don't want to mess mm, with that. Mm, mm. But who tend to not be in touch with their own needs, divorced from their instinctual nature. Mm. They function with good, bad, right, wrong, should, shouldn't, must, mustn't, can, cannot. Instead of what am I really hungry for? Mm. What is in my bones? You know, what am I really hungry for? How can I get in touch for that? But let me not go. So what that. do you, that sounds like what a do you, so, women, so you women all get together like a drum we'll circle? Or so. What, so, what, that, what nonsense well, is this? We you know, sing kumbaya, no. all of those good things. So yeah. And, 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 and actually, so there is a little part of it like that. There is a little part of it like that. But you know, it's, it's the meaning of these kind of, um, interactions, not only with me, but perhaps as just as a little bit as a spark mm. can be the spark or the facilitator and then see what happens. And when I, when I see that maybe there's value in it, it's inspirational. So who inspires me? I suppose who I worked with yesterday. Yeah. That's yeah. so nice. Recent. And, yeah. Mm. And, and do you, feel like there are role models anymore because you mentioned just now when you you're, when you said there are no leaders and people are very down about the, the state of leadership in the world and we kind of hearken back to great leaders of the past. But at that time, they probably thought those leaders were rubbish. So who can mm. – and we can't help it as humans. We, we look for patterns and we try to envision our own – existence in the form of a pattern. We see other people and we model ourselves in them. Yeah, I find that to be quite a difficult question to come up with. I mean, when I speak to the 
that question or think about it, it's amazing how many people say, well, it was, it's my grandmother. Yeah. yeah. You know, or, or they look at people more in their inner circle. We hard pressed. Okay. So then if it's I not, if it's not role models, what were the characteristics of people who you think are aspirational and who we should want to be like and who we should want to learn from? You said authenticity just now. I think that's yeah. a Look, good one. Look, I think, yeah, authenticity. I also think that, you know, so often, I mean, you think of all of the things that we deal with every day and some, I had a conversation within my own family, you know, where someone was cross with someone else and all of this. And I just think, you know, honestly, you know, I'm listening, I'm looking at this. Life These people is who too have, short people for have this. for rebels. For rebels is Why? the word. Okay. Why, yeah. Too much pride causes too much pain, Gareth. Sure. Mm. You know what? It's never more important to win than to be happy. Mm. Never. And I think that people just will not step down because of pride. You are come to me first, whereas inside they're both unhappy. Mm. Sometimes they even forget the original thing. This has gone on and then it gets passed on to the kids who don't know who to support. Mm. You know, that that kind of thing. And is then just, the poor just, kids are just inheriting. And they're inheriting mm. all of this. And, and so, yeah, what, what do I think? I th- um, what are the characteristics? Authenticity. I think it, uh, humility, but not meaning a humility as being sort of, you know, necessarily like a humble person, but I mean, being able to say, you know, I'm sorry. I was I'm wrong. A, I was wrong. Yeah. I messed up. Yeah. You know, people respect that. And I think that it's a great thing for parents to, you know, kids learn in three main ways. Example, example, and example. <laughs> so you have to be the change you wish to see in the world, That's as Gandhi it. said. That's it. You know, you want to turn our people who you admire be that. Mm-hmm. And what do they really look like? So, you know, it's, it's the, I mean, there are many ways of issues clearing. There are many ways of, of insight and recognizing, wow, you know, this is just the story I tell myself about mm. it. It might have nothing to do with fact at all. And, and the way human beings interact with each other inevitably leads to conflict. And we see a lot of that in this country. There are a lot of traumatized mm. people in South Africa, right? There there are. Lots and lots there of people are. who probably, if they could, would be in therapy, but they probably don't know about it and or can't afford it. Sure. And we, we should have free therapy in this country. We should have far more social workers than we do. Mm. Those people are very special, but they're hard to come by. Look, you say what are, you know, what are the things? Interestingly enough, and you know this platform very well, because you know the founder of this platform, there's a platform called Lockdown University. Yes. That started um, in COVID. And funnily enough, interestingly enough, I'm presenting on that platform tonight. Uh-huh. And the person that I am, I am interviewing tonight is Rory Stain, who is Nelson Mandela's bodyguard. Um, chief bodyguard. Right. And the interesting part of it, I mean, it's fascinating looking at who, at, at who Nelson Mandela was and the characteristics that he had and how he understood that forgiveness to freedom, forgiveness begets freedom and it's a worthy journey and that there was no, you know, there was such benefit in that kind of, of forgiveness of, of the obvious. But as well as that was Rory Stain's own journey and what made for the change from hatred to reconciliation. And when he started, I mean, he was a staunch, 
you know, pro-apartheid. That was how he was brought mm. up. Without any kind of doubt, there wasn't even, is this right, is this wrong? Mm. Of course it's right. It's in my DNA. This is what I saw around me. This is the mm. beliefs must be based on facts that mm, I have about mm. other people. And then you witness the change and the opportunity for the change because the come in, come in, come in. in let me, let me, let me embrace you. Let me encompass you into my world and see something different. So there had to be that little bit of invitation in the beginning. And then what was the thing that made for change? The respect. That's a leader. Respect of me. Before that, before that, it was I'm an employee, step back. Sure. I'm an employee, you know, I don't have many rights here. I serve you. The inclusion, the recognition, the curiosity of tell me a little bit about your life. Mm. You know, do you, you know what, tell me about your family or whatever. Mm. The, the interest, the, and what does that do that says, gee, I must be an important person. An important person worthy of recognition, mm. maybe not only from a leader, but from another human being. So what are the qualities of leadership? We used to call all of these things soft skills. And they were last on the budget in, in yeah. corporations. People didn't spend money on them. Now what's happening, in fact, as also again, after the pandemic, people are recognizing that people who feel good about themselves produce good results. If you have a culture of connection and inclusion in your organization, you're probably going to do better. Mm. And so people are saying, you know, how can we create that inside our organization? So for me, these are the kind of leadership traits. But, you know, you ask for, I mean, you know, your, your highlights, there are certain things. I mean, even in radio, especially in radio and in other things. I mean, shows that I remember. I remember the one talking about forgiveness on forgiveness. Three hours. Yeah. We did then. Mm. Three hours, three guests. Sure. Adrian Flock. The only minister, um, who went to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and why. On that same show, Marika de Klerk, past wife of F.W. de Klerk, mm -hmm. who said, I don't want to get too personal, Dr. D, and then proceeded to get very personal. personal. And he had, he had recently got remarried before. That's right. And her turning to, to her faith to kind of guide her through this, how she was still, in a way, very much support. She, she hadn't moved much from her original beliefs. It was fascinating. The third interview that I did on that same show was Amy Beale's parents. Amy Beale, the American Fields yeah. scholar who got killed by, um, in the wake of the Chris Harney funeral. Mm. The absolute outrage, the outrage, the, the devastation that had no way of expression mm. of the people who took to the street when Chris Harney was mm. killed mm. and she was in the way mm. and it came from America and she got killed and how they said, you know, look, I mean, we also get, these were parents, we get what was going on and that's why she was here. She was here because she got what was going on and they granted amnesty and how they spoke about it. I mean, that show and that show stimulated my relationship that lasted till the end of his life with F.W. de Klerk. 
Wow. You know, I mean, I made a speech for him at his 85th birthday wow. party. Amazing. Because they called me afterwards, you know, him and his wife, and they, 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 it was to do with her funeral, and they wanted to talk about who, Elita, they wanted to talk about who should go, whether any, any of her family should attend to. Mm. I said, well, that's a personal decision. There were many opportunities. We didn't even realize the magnitude of the opportunities that we had in. Sure. At 702. Mm-hmm. Sure. Dr. D, yeah. please can I invite you to my show? Because this is like <laughs> a wealth of knowledge that I am seeing and just feeling. And I'm so inspired by just all the stories that you're sharing. Eric, you'll have to because then you'll be, finally be able to ask then us Then I'll something. finally be able to ask <laughs> yeah. you something as well. So maybe we just hop onto Life with Lebang in the coming weeks would, and then we just chat. It would be an honor. I really would love I'd to. I'd love that. I'd love to that too. That would be amazing. I'd love to. Thank well, you. It's done. It would be an honor. Thank you. Well, listen, it's always lovely to see you and thank you for coming in to talk to us. Um, lots of comments here about how great it is to have you on. People mm-hmm. talking about, um, the, the, the things that you've said that are just like they strike a chord. Oh. You know, comes yeah. from experience. You, this is not stuff that it's so natural for you to talk like this now. Sure. Well, I think there's personal vulnerability that I'm very comfortable with now. I don't feel like that anymore. It's also my relationship with you, Gareth. You know, we go back a long time and I feel it. I don't know if you do. I feel very easy with you. Yeah, you know, yeah. that it sort of just flows. Um, and all Absolutely. of the people who've, who've, I've been so privileged to, to have met and who've influenced me. Um, so yeah, thank you. What a, what a pleasure to have you here, and yeah, we will we'll get you on on the Bangs show now. Yeah. So you got to find time. And, <laughs> Great, got to find yes. time in Dory's busy schedule. Now, what time is your show? It's every Wednesday from nine to ten. So check your diary now, Great. so that we can lock you in. <laughs> Great, I'm also, holding you to that. Eh? Nine, nine, nine is you. a bit easier than seven o'clock. So, yes. yeah. you'll find the Uber. I feel like I've got a whole day in front of me now. That's great. Thank you, D- Dory. Thanks, thanks so Gareth. much. Thank Lovely you, to see you, Doctor D. Everybody, that is it. We will see you. Tomorrow, 6 a.m. Be good. Cheers. Bye.